From Steel Valley Media, this is the Frosty Podcast. Welcome to the Frosty Podcast. We are back here for episode two of Draft Preparation. You can find us on Podbean. You can find us on Google Podcasts. You can find us on Twitter at Frosty Pod. I'm joined here again by Charlie Thurber. Charlie, how you doing? Doing well. Doing great. How about uh, how's everything in uh, Northeast Ohio? It, it's it's going well, and uh, unfortunately, the Frosty Live Tour comes to a screeching halt this week, just like everything else on the planet right now. Um, Charlie coming to you from beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. Me checking in from a uh, little less than a uh, little less beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, doing doing the remote thing this time, uh, hoping to get back on the road. Hoping we can get ourselves to Vegas for uh, for next month's uh, mock draft that we'll be doing. Uh, from Vegas, where the draft is going to be being held, but we'll we'll see how this all progresses. Uh, Charlie, it, it's it's been weird. It's it's only a month now since we last touched base on all this and talked through episode one, and it's like we're living in a whole different world here a month after. It's crazy, man. Things are shut down. We're talking about not having the draft in Las Vegas and doing it remotely, and you know we shut down sports all the way through the College World Series in June, so. You know, everyone's in uh, kind of an anxious wait mode to see see how things progress here in the coming weeks. It's certainly unprecedented, and it, uh, I, I have a hard time suggesting that people are overreacting to this. I think there's definitely a threat out there, and I think it's better to be safe than sorry. Obviously, it sucks not having March Madness to look forward to, not having other pro sporting events to watch every night. But I think if if uh, if everybody just, you know, stays away from people for the next couple of weeks. I think, I think we can get past this pretty quickly as a country. I'm, I'm not sure I'm buying into the media rhetoric where it's going to be months and months of this. Um, I, I think, I think the U S is a lot better at handling stuff like this than some of the other countries. And I think we're going to find that out here. Would a hundred percent agree with that. I think uh, shutting everything down, getting everyone isolated here for the next two to four weeks should really, you know, put a dent in this, uh, you know, it is a threat, but you know it should put a dent in it for sure. So I think so. I think so. Charlie, give us give us a quick scouting report on coronavirus. I know you've been scouting this out. You're in, you're in the medical business a little bit. Uh, what what are your thoughts on the virus itself? Man, coronavirus is like Sean Oakman. It is uh, just a <laughs> just an intimidating figure where you know you see him on the coin flip, and uh, you know if he hits you, it's gonna hurt. But you know Sean Oakman, you know never really you know, turned into Julius Peppers or, you know, that threatening, you know, prime defensive end we thought he was going to be. So for me, you know, the scouting report is, you know, walks off the bus and, you know, he, you know, he has the intimidation factor, um, you know, big, strong, covers a lot of ground, um, but, you know, kind of, kind of un, un, uh, unpredictable, you know, we don't really know what we're going to get out of him. So that would be my player comp for the coronavirus. I love that player comp. I think that's spot on. You know, Sean Oakman. Uh, I, just just uh, yesterday, I was I was looking up uh, James Lynch, the Baylor defensive end, and I couldn't remember what his name was at the time. So I'm I'm going through YouTube and I'm just putting in Baylor defensive end NFL draft, and Sean Oakman is still like the first ten searches on there. <laughs> he is just like the standard Baylor defensive end template forever of this guy who is just jacked out of his mind. 
but not good at football. <laughs> Absolute tank. Absolute <laughs> tank. You know, if if he is he in the XFL right now? I'm yeah. not sure where he is right now. That, that's a good question. That's probably something we need to look into and report back to for episode three. Because uh, yeah, we we need to look into that. Yeah, because speaking of media rhetoric, man, he was a media darling <laughs> during oh his draft process. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, how could he not be? That guy definitely looked the part. I mean, he's like 6'8", 280 of, you know, sheer yeah. muscle. Just, you yeah. know, didn't fit in his uniform. I mean, there's got to be some role for him in professional sports, whether it's, you know, I don't know, power forward for 15 minutes a game just to get in there and box people out or wwe or something that guy's just a tank of a human being even if you can just have him walk off the bus first for your team for like, <laughs> exactly. like, like <laughs> the intimidation factor i'll pay league minimum for that you know? yeah, yeah that's worth like a win in the standings probably exactly <laughs> well on a, on a more positive note some other things have, have changed in the last month too we've had a combine that uh all the nfl prospects have descended upon indianapolis and They've run their 40s, they've done their their medicals, they've done their interview testing, and we have some stuff to report on that. Uh, we had some pretty nice uh, player comps in our first episode that, you know, not to, not to beat our own drum here, but we're starting to hear some of these comps come up from the actual experts out there, um, the people that are paid to do this. So uh, it feels like a lot of this was kind of spot on. What are, what are some of your favorite comps that you've had that you're starting to hear a little more of now? The two I'm, I'm most proud of uh, would be the top two receivers in the draft. Uh, you know, I I kind of went bold by saying Jerry Judy, you know, was was Stephon Diggs. Um, and, you know, this isn't something that has leaked out in, into the draft yet, um, into the draft media yet. But when you look at how they tested, you know, Judy's a little bit taller. He ran a 4.46. Diggs ran a 4.46. Um, they're both sudden twitchy athletes who are just high level root runners, um, you know, exceptional deep ball receivers with plus acceleration. I, I think that comp, you know, nailed it. And, you know, when the combine numbers came out, I mean, you're talking same vertical jump, same 40 yard dash. And it's a little unfortunate for a guy like Diggs who slipped way back in the draft. And that just shows you that hype is real. Um, that's a first round receiver who, <clears throat> excuse me, did not have hype on his side. And, uh, you know, Judy does, but nevertheless, they're both top end, top end receivers. And the one that came out recently that, you know, you and I have been harping on for a while is, is the CD lamb and Devonte Adams comp. Um, the combine happened. They both ran, you know, four, five, two ish. Uh, they're both around the same height, six, two, six, three. Um, and they're both just intelligent receivers. Um, you know, they find blind, blind spots for, uh, improvising quarterbacks when you look at what Devontae's done in, in Green Bay why he's clicked with Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers does a great job of extending plays and Adams can break from his route um, he can improvise with Rodgers get to the spot most convenient and then you add that yeah he has great hands and he's a solid athlete he's very physical um, same thing with CD you know working with uh, Baker Mayfield Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts um, I believe three years in a row, which is impressive in and of itself that he succeeded with three different quarterbacks, but all three are pretty, pretty improvisational quarterbacks. Um, and CD did the same things to really succeed there in Oklahoma. So those were my two that I, I would be the most psyched about sharing. How about you? 
I, I got to give you major credit on that CD Lamb one too, because you were way ahead on the Devontae Adams comparison, and I'm I'm starting to see that as like the norm for comparisons on him now, through a lot of different outlets. So, uh, major kudos to you for being first on that one, and having having taken a little bit of time and watching some of the uh, some of the secondary guys, some of the defensive backs that we have that we'll be talking through here in this episode, uh, some from the, from the big 12, it, it just becomes apparent to me, like, like CD lamb is just always open. Like he, yeah. you get the combine numbers from him. He doesn't really wow you from an athletic profile standpoint, but he's just always open and he's always there first quarterback. Um, I, I think he's going to be uh, a guy. If you pair him with the right quarterback at the next level, I think he could be very dangerous, but uh as far as uh, player comps that uh, that I had in there, you know, the one guy that I was really looking forward to seeing, and then we mentioned at the end of the first podcast, was Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin at running back. He's a guy I was pretty critical of in the, in the first episode, um, and he really delivered on his forty time, uh, four four six forty, um, eye popping time for him. Um, and it, it, just to reiterate, my comparison for him was Ben Tate, who was a uh, Houston Texans and Cleveland Browns running back, uh, kind of underwhelming, uh, had pockets of his career where he was pretty solid, but no, nothing consistent. And when you look at the combine numbers of those two guys next to each other, they are extremely comparable. And actually, Ben Tate had a much higher athletic profile than Taylor does. So I know I know the buzz for Taylor is growing quite a bit after that time right now. But for me, it really doesn't change the evaluation too much. I went back and, and watched the film again uh, after that because running a time like that makes you go double-check your work. And I just still don't think he runs in games. His game speed doesn't is not a 4-4-6 to me. Uh, he, he's not running away from people and at the college level. So um, I still kind of question whether he has the, the burst and the uh, elusive skills at the line of scrimmage to get himself loose like that at the next level. And I, I, I think my Ben Tate comparison still stacks up pretty well on that one. Definitely, Tony. That When I saw that, that I think that's the comp of the draft right there. And, um, you know, it was such a bold call at the time. And it sounds even more bold now, but it's important for our listeners to hear, you know, when you Taylor ran a four, three, nine and had a 36 inch vert, um, you know, Ben Tate ran a four, four, one and had a 40 and a half inch vert. Uh, they run in a similar manner. They have about the same stature. Um, you know, they're Taylor's 5'10", 226. Tate was 5'11", 220. Um, these guys, you know, it's important that we note this out because, you know, after that last podcast, people would probably be like, you know, wow, Jonathan Taylor's a running back to have in this draft. But Tate doesn't lie, as you mentioned, and uh, the measurables are virtually the same. It just goes to show you that, you know, there's more than just straight line speed um, in a workout. It's how fast you play. It's how, you know, what's your field vision like? How do you fit in, in different schemes? And, uh, you know, kudos to you on that call. It was, it was pretty excellent. Yeah, it's, it's so much of it is just, uh, like you said, it's hype. It's it's where you're you're projected to go from, from the start of this process a year ago. And uh, if, you, if you don't do anything to screw it up, then you kind of just end up stuck there. So uh, Taylor is probably, he's probably going to fit in there at the end of the first round, top of the second round, despite what I might, might think of it. And you know, looking back, like you definitely would not have taken Ben Tate at that spot. And Ben Tate didn't go at that spot. And it, it just, it, it's, 
so different the way um, you know some some people were viewed in the in the media and, and through the hype channels like that when really you look at their measurables and their body of work it might suggest something different I, I think the other one at the running back level is uh zach moss in the comparison to cream mm-hmm. hunt which i've i've made and i've heard also through other analysts out there and kareem hunt went third round uh you're starting to see a lot of projections for zach moss going like end of second to beginning of third round and you know, looking back now, would you still take Kareem Hunt in the third round? It doesn't make much sense to me. Now, knowing what you know now and knowing that this guy has the same type of potential, you would think you'd take this guy a little bit earlier. But it just kind of shows you that a lot of these draft evaluators are kind of stuck in their ways with how they evaluate guys. Yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. And, and you know, you get analysis by paralysis and uh... – or what's that right? Paralysis by analysis. And, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, the, the numbers can talk you in or out of, of the right decision. Um, you know, and, and people get caught up in making the safe decision that won't ruffle too many feathers at the time. And, and this kind of happens in all sports. And, you know, the media plays a big role in that, right? You know, if you make a bold call and you at the time take Kareem Hunt out of Toledo, you know, in the end of the first round, instead of uh, Rashad Penny or, you know, I don't even know if they're the same year, but, you know, take that for an example, a guy who, you know, maybe ran a faster 40 and, you know, whatever had, didn't had better measurables than, than Kareem Hunt, who, who, again, I'm looking at this right now, ran a four, six, two, Zach Moss ran a four, six, three. They're virtually a clone of each other physically, same vertical jump, um, same size, um, great tape, just bowling ball running backs, um, and, and, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of credit, you know, that is, is unfortunately being missed for just being a great football player. So yep. completely agree with that. Yep. Totally agree. So uh, just, just to give everybody a rundown of where we're headed here in this episode, uh, we're going to launch pretty quickly here, right into a, uh, into our defensive segment. We touched on the offensive guys in the first podcast. We're going to do the defense a little bit differently. We're going to do a snake draft for you all. So we're going to roll through a five-round snake draft, just me and Charlie going back and forth, picking our best and favorite defensive players in this draft, the guys that you'd expect to see come off the board uh, fairly early. Um, you know, just just playground style, man. If you were if you were standing around the playground out there, who would you take first for your, for your defense that you were starting? Uh, and then from there, we are going to have – the, the first ever edition of the Frosty Mailbag. We have some questions coming in from uh, some of our most avid fans out there. Uh, they've, they've spoken and uh, asked our opinion on, on certain uh, areas of the, of the draft and certain players out there. Uh, so we're going to answer some of those for you as well. So, uh, And then a month from now, we are going to be doing our own uh, mock draft heading into ending into the NFL draft at that point. So it's going to be Charlie and I both going back and forth. We're going to work through the entire first round and give you an idea of where we think people are heading at that point. And then obviously after the draft, we'll do a quick rundown think showing you, you know, who the best fits out there, who the worst fits, what really stuck out from the draft. I think, I think it's going to be a very interesting year, especially considering uh, the, the climate we're in right now where, uh, players can't really go visit these teams right now. So more so than ever, teams are going to have to uh, really focus on what's on film. And I think that's going to be a big adjustment for them because a lot of them like to overanalyze things based on stuff they hear 
uh, in interviews or stuff they see in personal visits, they're not going to be privy to all the information that they normally get. So without further ado, Charlie, let's launch into that snake draft now to start going through these defensive prospects. Um, we're going to go through your standard fantasy football type uh, draft here. So I'm going to do the first pick. Charlie's going to do the next two. We're going to go five rounds here. So I think that's going to give our listeners a pretty good indicator who the top 10 prospects are in our, our book here and give them a good idea of who some of these guys are. So I'm going to lead us off, and there's not going to be any surprise here at the top. I'm going to go Chase Young, defensive end from Ohio State. He has been the top guy on draft boards through the entire process. If you don't need a quarterback, he is the slam dunk pick in this draft. Like, I, There's no reason to complicate this. He was a complete monster for the entire season. Came Ended up missing a couple games due to an NCAA scandal, um, which one that was very questionable in nature from the NCAA standpoint. Um, and he comes back and I, he, he was getting a lot of critique down the stretch for not rolling up sacks in, in the last couple games in the, uh, the, the playoff game that he was in playing against Michigan. Like this guy was getting double and triple teamed nonstop <laughs> down the stretch. Uh, he was every bit as dominant. He's still getting to the quarterback, even if it wasn't so much, uh, sacking them. Um, to me, there is no question on this guy, you know, from a strength speed standpoint, he is just, he's up there in that, that Bosa class. He's up there with the miles Garrett. He's a, he, he should be a premier pass rusher at the next level. Completely agree. He's, I mean, it's hard to deny when you watch the tape. Um, I went through and, and obviously Tony, you, you specialize on the front seven, but I went through to, to just follow up on some of these guys and um, it's pretty clear um, even even when you watch the games where the sack result didn't happen, um, you're exactly right. He's getting double and triple teamed. Um, he he commands that just just with the power speed combination. Um, what what surprised me is how fluid he is at that size. Um, he's got a great repertoire of moves. He's pretty head and heels above the other prospects um, on the edge and in the front seven. And um, you know you can't predict. For sure, but he's about as close as you could come to, you know, guaranteeing, you know, a, a high quality edge defender. Um, he definitely has the upside to become an elite one, you know, and especially when you you look at the model that the Bosa brothers established recently. Um, it's really hard to deny that. Um, we'll we'll see what happens here with him at the top of the draft, um, just with the quarterback hype and. I would think, you know, someone could surprisingly end up with with uh, impact defender like Young in their pocket, you know, between picks two and four, depending on what happens with the quarterbacks. And he's predator. You can't you can't forget that. <laughs> he yeah. looks he, he looks and plays like predator. He's, he he's sure an absolute monster. It's, it's a slam dunk pick there in my book. So, Charlie, who would you go? Uh, you know, if you get the next two picks here, who's who's going to be the number two pick in this draft? Number two pick for me, and it's it's not close, is Isaiah Simmons. Um, I, I, I don't think, as, as physically dominant and as predator-like as Chase Young is, I don't think it's that far off as to who the best defensive prospect is in this draft. This guy is literally a chess piece. He literally could play any any position on the, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, he's got length. Um, he's got intelligence. Uh, he plays the Mike, the Sam, strong safety, nickel. 
Um, he's explosive. We saw him chase down, you know, Dobbins from behind in the national championship game. Um, he's, he's a true game changing player. Um, and I, I just feel like, again, when you talk about potentially three quarterbacks going in the top five to six picks, someone's going to have Simmons fall into their lap. And for me, he's, he's a perennial all pro. Um, he seems to have just winning makeup. There's really no comparison for him in my book. It's hard to compare him to any player. I think he, I think he just immediately makes an impact. And, you know, as long as he stays healthy, um, he's a potential hall of famer. Yeah, I completely agree. Let me, let me just read off some of these stats from the, from the combine, which he scorched, uh, height, six, four weight, 238 pounds, definitely prototypical linebacker size there from him runs a four, three, nine 40 at that size, which is just surreal. 39 inch vertical jump, 132 inch broad jump. The dude is just an athletic freak. Um, I guess if we if we were really really stretching and trying to to dig up a comp for him, I would have to probably go Erlacher, who would played safety in in college at mm-hmm. New Mexico and ended up uh, bulking up and playing linebacker and was still able to maintain the same athleticism at the increased size, but. Uh, even that, I think, is probably a bit of a stretch. I think this guy is kind of something that we haven't seen in, in past years. Um, as I mentioned before, we're, we're going to be doing a, a uh, episode after the draft talking about best fits and worst fits and all that. And, and I'm going to be honest, this guy, I can guarantee, is going to be on that list on one of the two because I legitimately think there are defensive coordinators in the league that will have no idea how to maximize him. What do you mm-hmm. think? I completely agree. Uh, and we talk about fit um, and, you know, it's 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 tantalizing, right, to have a player like that. But, you know, frankly, even at the highest level, you have some clueless defensive coordinators at that level. And, um, you know, it's it's paramount. You know, it's a little different for for a guy like Chase Young. Right. He's it's not as complicated. You're going to line him up on the edge. You know, he's going to be on one or two sides and he's going to he's just going to be a nightmare for offensive tackles. For Simmons, you know, you do have to maximize him. You have you have situations where. He's going to be underutilized, um, and you have situations where he could certainly be overstretched. Um, and you need to make sure that you put him in a situation to thrive. You give him the opportunity to be a chess piece, but it needs to be a strategic um, method in that. Yep, absolutely agree. He's uh, uh, definitely a weapon out there. And if he falls into the hands of the right defensive coordinator, he could be a defensive player of the year candidate many times during his career he's that good so uh who who would you go after him i think, I think the first two picks were pretty easy here who you going pretty easy pretty easy those guys are are in a class of their own i would put them in the same class um i, I want to make that note i i don't think i would put them both in the same class of prospect um as as just kind of difference makers you know if if the quarterbacks weren't on the board it's a no-brainer that those guys would be the first two picks um, i like both elite. Yep. Yeah, elite. So uh, right after them, though, is a guy who you've been on, Tony, um, and and I've been on as well. Javon Kinlaw, just an underrated animal, just a rocket off the line of scrimmage. Um, he's huge. He's six five, three fifteen. Um, you know, he he keeps great pad level for being so big. Um, he's he's impressively agile, um, side to side. 
he's he's an incredible pass rusher, but he's also going to get in there and plug the plug the run up pretty well. He he just imposes his will and destroys plays, even against you know high level SEC lines. Um, you know, it, the the one knock on him is that you know he may be a little raw, but when you look at this guy and who he is from a makeup standpoint, this guy was homeless growing up. Um, he's just an overcomer. He's a winner. Um, I think personally, um, he's just going to demolish blocking schemes, even at the NFL level. Um, he can, he can one gap or two gap at the NFL level and he's an elite prospect too. Yeah. I've been all over this guy since the first time I watched him on tape, I was kind of upset that you were going to be able to draft him here and not me. Uh, (laughs) I legitimately think his ceiling is JJ Watt high with the way he plays. His measurables are, are very similar in that nature. Um, I agree with you. He's, he's a little raw, um, but at his height, six, five, a lot of the issues you'll have with uh, interior defensive linemen who, who play at that height is they have a hard time getting low enough to get under the offensive lineman they're going against. He does not have issues staying low, which is, is huge. And with his burst off the ball and his, you know, he, his hand usage and ability to shock the, the offensive lineman in front of him is second to none in this class. If you put the tape of him against Alabama on, it is just four quarters worth of him snapping their heads back and making plays in the backfield. It is extremely impressive. And I don't think I need to tell anybody really how good Alabama's offensive line is. Year in, year out, it is one of the best in the business. And he was a complete and utter problem for them. And I think he can do that at the next level, too. I think he has some of the athleticism and some of the length that if um, if a scheme calls for it, he can move out to that, that five technique, that seven technique, line up off the offensive tackles, kind of similar to what Watt does, and be just as effective out there as well. I think he is going to be even better at the next level than he was in college. I completely agree with that. He was just... I mean, not even scratching the surface here in this final year uh, at South Carolina. And he's one of these guys where he's going to get in the league um, and he's just going to keep really getting better. That ceiling is, you know, he's got so much more room to grow. Um, and I'm really excited to check it out. So with with no further ado, uh, let's get back in this snake uh, to Mr. Tony Parenti at, at uh, pick four. Back to me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my second Ohio State guy off the board. So two for two picks are gonna be Ohio State. This one's gonna be Jeff Okuda at corner. Um, I'm not gonna overthink this one either. I think uh, this guy is a slam dunk player. He's six one two oh five, ran a four four eight at the forty, which is plenty sufficient for that position. Forty one inch vertical. He, he checks all the boxes for you. And when you put the tape on. But there's there's just no separation between him and the receiver when they're running routes. It's almost like he's running the routes for you. His footwork, um, his footwork, his technique is exactly how you coach it up to be. So um, if you if you ever need to make a clinic tape for uh, defensive backs that you might be coaching, you're gonna throw this guy's tape on. And he's physical too. Uh, in the run game, he will he does not hesitate at all to come up and stick his face in the fan and uh, blow up blockers blow up running backs in the backfield or just tear apart screens in, in the, in the screen game. He's a, he's not, he's not a real, uh, not, not a guy who plays the game with a lot of swagger. He's not a loud guy. He's very quiet. He goes about his business. Uh, but he is 
about as tough as they come. And, and most prospects out there, you know, he really only has one good year on, on film. That's, that's usually a bit of a red flag for me when they only have one good year, but, uh, you know, Ohio State DBs are obviously something different. They're churning out first-round corners every single year and just replacing them with a new one every year. So all of them only have one good year of tape on there because that's really the only only year they get to play because of the talent that's ahead of them. They're they're essentially DBU at this point. Uh, and I think Okuda has the ability and the traits to be one of the better ones that's come out in the past couple of years. He uh... – I, I agree with you on that. Um, it's 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 interesting, right? Okuda, it, he's fearless. Um, he's a bulldog, and he's just the fluidity in his hips um, and his feet um, are just undeniable. Uh, he's he he does he runs the route for you. He can play man or zone. He's he's pretty um, you know scheme independent, so he can really fit. I think differently than than the three guys or yeah the first three guys we first pick we just picked. He's the guy who, whose floor is extremely high. Um, I, I don't know that the ceiling comes close to how high the floor is. It's a different, it's a different strategy pick. He's going to come in. He's going to be ready to play at the NFL level immediately. Um, I think with Okuda, the question for me is, can he play the ball? I see he, he's not challenged down the field, and, and that's because he's impeccable within the first 10, 15 yards. Um, but at the NFL level, he will be challenged beyond that. Uh, you run into Mike Evans, Julio Jones, guys like that. Um, you know, I, I feel pretty good putting Akuda up against those guys. There, there are a lot of guys you don't feel good about putting up against those guys. But when they get past that mark, 15, 20, 25, 30 yards downfield, um, you know, you do see him get turned around a little bit, um, even against T Higgins in the championship game. There's, I don't think there's, or excuse me, the, the, the college football playoff. There's no doubt that Okuda overall won that battle. Um, you know, he, he's the clear cut winner, but partially you have to credit the Ohio state pass rush. Um, you know, Lawrence was not throwing the ball like he did the year previous. Um, you know, the ball was behind him. Um, and I, and I felt like Higgins had, had a step on Okuda, even on some of the slant routes, because Okuda had gotten used to running the route for a receiver, um, which he's, which he's excellent at, but he's going to need to retain, you know, being physical with those guys a little bit longer. Um, my, my favorite thing I saw from Okuda at the combine was, was the 40 plus inch vertical, um, completely makes up for, you know, he ran the four, four, eight, which people, you know, Deion Sanders wasn't, wasn't psyched about, but you know, the explosiveness in that vertical is, is pretty undeniable. So that tells me that he certainly has the capacity, um, to stay explosive and be with those guys downfield. It's just, he's going to need to, to get that experience. You know, he just, as with anyone who dominates at the college level, they're, they're not tested beyond a certain point, And I'm, I'm intrigued to see that. I think that's really good points you made there because I've seen a lot of the, uh, the the comps out there and some some of the guys comparing them to DBs in the past years. I've seen a couple that are like Jalen Ramsey. I don't see that in his game. Uh, I, I think that's a bit of an over-exaggeration. I think Ramsey was a better prospect top to bottom than Okuda is. Uh, to me, just to, just to make it simpler, I, I think Okuda is just Denzel Ward with better size. 
Really, mm-hmm. he has a, he has a lot of the same strengths that Ward has. He has a lot of the same weaknesses that Ward has. When you when you talk about uh, ability to play the ball in the air and ability to go up against bigger receivers, those are two things that Ward struggles with a little more. But at the end of the For day, sure. I probably trust Okuda to hold up a little better than Denzel Ward is currently. You know, Ward is probably on his second or third concussion in two years already in the NFL. He's very slight. Okuda's a little more thick and yep. uh, I think has a body that's a little better to take on the rigors of the NFL life. So uh, very good, very good points you make there on him. I'm going to move on to my next pick, my third pick, the fifth pick overall in our snake draft. I'm going to stay in the same conference. I'm going to stay in the Big Ten. Yeter Gross Matos, defensive end from Penn State. He's 6'5", 266. I cannot for the life of me figure out why he is not being talked about more. Uh, when I put his tape on, you know, he is about as technically sound as it comes. He's got great length, uh, definitely sufficient speed coming off the edge. He doesn't – he didn't run at the combine. I don't expect his combine time to be shockingly good. Like, I don't think this is a guy that's going to athletically test off the charts. But with, with his 35-inch arms, his burst off the ball, his ability to play using his hands – I don't think a lot of that's going to matter at the next level. Um, and the part of part of this might be, uh, you know, I uh, definitely I coached in uh, in college at Bowling Green, our defensive line coach there for a year or two years. Actually, Sean Spencer was the defensive line coach at Penn State. So knowing how this guy is coached on a day to day basis helps me in this because I, I, I know what he's being told from his coaching staff and I can see him using that on the field and I can tell how coachable he is just by watching the film. It's, that's an advantage I have when watching Penn State defensive linemen that uh, that I don't have with a lot of others. And, you know, if, if you I've I talked about earlier when we were talking about Kinlaw throwing the Alabama tape on to see how impressive he is. You can do the exact same thing with Gross Matos with the Ohio State film. I, I have no idea who that offensive tackle is on the left-hand side for the Buckeyes, but I can tell you right now who his daddy is because Gross Matos just abused him for four quarters in that game completely. Uh, he was he was in the backfield almost every snap, had, uh, I believe, multiple sacks, multiple TFLs, um, he was just completely disruptive. They had no answer for him. And Ohio State uh, pretty typically has one of the better offensive lines out there. So I think Gross Matos is a top 20 prospect in this draft. And I, I wouldn't surprise me at all if he ends up going as a top 20 pick as well, because I think a lot of the uh, defensive coaches out there and the scouts are going to eventually see the same thing as they work through this process. From a from an impartial um, standpoint, I'm just gonna validate what you just said. Um, you know, you you were early on this guy, and you said, "Hey, if you if you make sure to watch tape on anyone, make sure to watch Gross Matos." And so I'm like, "All right, sure, okay." And I and I got on and watched the tape, and it's just undeniable the fact that some of these other edge guys like uh, AJ Epinesa are are getting hyped up in the top 20 picks, and Gross Matos isn't is 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 literally mind-blowing to me um you know he a a little raw but he's he's dynamic um the burst length combination is just you know immediately impressive and and especially in the ohio state tape um just he showcased an incredible you know hand skills um he swiped he countered he cleared contact and um just set the edge and you know even if he wasn't 
in the backfield, he was disrupting the pocket. Um, and I would see some team getting a steal, um, even if he doesn't go in the first 20 picks. I mean, you're talking about a, a very high ceiling where, similar to Ken Law, as you mentioned, um, it's it's not even close to being reached. Yeah, and my, my comp for him is Alden Smith. Uh, played for the Niners for a lot of years, came out of Missouri. And when you look at the, the combine numbers even, um, you know, uh, gross motto, 6'5", 266. Alden Smith, 6'4", 263. Very close there. Uh, both with 35-inch arms. Uh, both with 20 reps on the bench press. Both with 34-inch vertical jumps. Like from an athletic profile standpoint, these guys are very, very close. Uh, Smith ran a 4.7840. We don't have one on gross mottos yet. I would guess that he's going to be in that range or around 4'8". Would, would probably be just by watching him on tape. I, I, my guess is that's about where he's going to test. Uh, I think I think he has the type of ceiling that Alden Smith had, you know, just without the baggage off the field. And if he can come close to that, I think he's going to be a very disruptive player at the next level for a lot of years. That's a great comment. Um, so move, moving on, we were halfway through our snake draft here. Uh, you got the next two. Who are you taking with the sixth overall pick? You got it. Well, I'm going to take a guy who's who's really ascending up boards quickly. Um, C.J. Henderson. Um, it's I'm a I'm a big front seven, um, you know, emphasis guy on defense. So it's hard for me to to really take um, you know a, an exterior um, outside player this early. But I'm a big fan of C.J. Henderson. He he really you know I started watching tape on C.J. Henderson after. Um, watching the LSU game this past year, um, and the guy's a stud. Um, I, I I don't know why it's taken so long for people to start hyping him up, but he just he just jumps off the film from an athleticism standpoint. Um, complete different prospect than Okuda. He's far from perfect with his footwork. Um, so really, if you have a need um, in your in your defensive secondary. You know, the world's your oyster if you're an NFL team. You can kind of take what you want. Do you want do you want high floor and, you know, kind of perfection? You know what you're going to get? Or do you want an unlimited ceiling? Um, and and for me, when I watch C.J. Henderson play, I've, I, I watch three tapes. I watch C.J. Henderson versus Debo Sam, Samuel. I watch C.J. Henderson uh, play Georgia, and he got a heavy dose of George Pickens, who's a guy to look out for as a – Six five receiver for Georgia, who's a freshman. I think he had like 230 yards in the Sugar Bowl. He's he's going to be a surefire first rounder if he can stay on the field. Um, and I watched him against LSU, where he got a heavy dose of Jamar Chase. And um, man, this guy's a bulldog. Um, he's he's got explosive ball skills. He's a press corner, um, and you know he he's got that ability. If you're looking for a guy who has a chance to be a guy who can who can shut down the Julio Jones of the world. Um, you know, those, those big wide receiver ones of the modern day NFL, CJ Henderson's your guy. Uh, my comp for him is, is Stefan Gilmore. Um, when, when I watched Stefan Gilmore at South Carolina, it was kind of the same thing. He was far from a perfect prospect, kind of a mid first round prospect um, who boasted all the physical tools. And when you break it down here, they're both six, one, uh, Henderson's a little heavier, 204, and, and Gilmore was 190. But, you know, Henderson ran a, a 439. Gilmore ran a 440. Um, you know, Henderson had a 37 and a half vertical jump. Gilmore had a 36 inch vertical jump. So um, 
when you talk about just dynamic athletes who who make a lot of plays on the ball um, and are step for step with with the highest level of college wide receivers, I think I think you know C.J. Henderson's more of a surefire pick than people realize. And I think you're talking about a guy with with legit you know top five corner in the league ceiling. I give you major major credit on this one because you were you've been on C.J. Henderson from the start, and just recently you're starting to see projections for him going top ten. So you were on him way before anybody else was, and in fact, looking at your your draft rankings, he is your number one corner in here. So going against a lot of the the draft group think out there that says Okuda is is number one overall. So I like the bold call on your point, and I. When I, when I throw the tape for C.J. Henderson on, you know, he, he plays with that swagger that Okuda doesn't. Like he's, a, he's a guy who's going to get up in your face. He's going to talk to you all game, uh, up in your grill, and he's going to shut you down. I, I think he still has a little more uh, raw aspects to his game than Okuda does. Okuda's a little more of a technician, but I agree with you. I think the, I think the ceiling for this guy could be higher. Um, I think he needs to be a little more physical in the run game, but I think that's something that can come with time. But uh, going back and looking at watching that LSU tape with him going against Jamar Chase, um, you know, those guys were going at it all game long, you know, throw for throw. And Jamar Chase, we're going to talk, be talking about being a top 10 pick next year. He's, he's that good. Uh, and Henderson stuck right there with him. Uh, he, he doesn't get burned by anybody. He's tough. He's uh plays the game with a lot of swagger, kind of like Richard Sherman would. You know, I, I like the Stefan Gilmore Gilmore comparison there. And Gilmore was kind of a bit of a late bloomer in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't really uh, – didn't get to the point where he is today, where you're talking about him being the top corner in the game. You know, he kind of took him a couple years to warm up in Buffalo before he finally – really got rolling. And once he did, you know, he's out there shutting down guys left and right in the NFL now. So uh, I really like, I really like this pick here. I think, uh, I think you're right. I think, I think the ceiling for Henderson uh, is sky high. Yeah. I'm really excited to see where it goes. I I could see a a similar path to that Gilmore, you know, it's going to might take him a year or two to warm up. Um, He might get exposed a little bit that raw side of his game, but you know, I highly recommend, you know, if someone doesn't know who C.J. Henderson is, just just check it out. Go watch C.J. Henderson versus um, LSU, and, and you'll see um, just an acrobat. You know, he's step-for-step step with Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall in the end zone. He's playing, you know, he's, he's manned up against Joe Burrow and his receivers, and, you know, he's making plays on the ball. He's turning around, finding the ball. Um, just an exceptional long athlete who, you know, could be really fun to see where he ends up. So I'm going to go right into my next pick. Um, and that's going to be another SEC guy um, who who really didn't jump on the scene because he didn't start for the entirety of the year at LSU. But it's Patrick Queen, um, just a, a sneakily explosive athlete, um, but really a technician at linebacker. Um, he has a lot of burst. He's a middle linebacker. Um, he, he, he comes downhill. Um, very gritty. He know he's, he's a little bit undersized, but he's, he's tough. Um, you know, can fight through contact to can get, to get through or control gaps. Um, but he also processes the game very quickly. Um, and it excels in coverage. Um, he's a, he tested, um, surprisingly well. I didn't, I didn't realize how well he's going to test at the combine, but you know, for, he's a little bit undersized, but to run a four five with a 35 inch vertical jump, 
Um, um, that's pretty solid. Um, I, I compare him a little bit to Roquan Smith, uh, former first round pick from the Bears, um, who ran a four five one um, at the combine out of Georgia and, you know, has had a lot of success there. You know, similar, you know, six one, a little bit bigger than Patrick Queen, um, but but kind of the same, you know, just a leader in the middle of the field, highly productive, um, can step right in and produce and has the chance to to really be a high level linebacker at the NFL level. Yeah, I love this guy. And, and it runs a four or five. He's six foot two thirty. You know, that's that's kind of, you know, the typical um the typical profile of first round linebackers these days. You know, most of them aren't six three, two forty running four four forties like Isaiah Simmons. He is that is <laughs> out of this world. This is a little more normal where you're talking about a guy who's two thirty, runs a four five. Um, and when you throw the film on for him, like he is all over the football. It, it's surprising it took, I guess, I guess, when you're not starting at the beginning of the year, it's, it's, you know, no question why people were late arriving on you. But I think he really peaked come playoff time uh, when they're out there playing Oklahoma and playing Clemson. And he's um, making plays all over the field. And I think I think the, the point that really sold me on him was there were a couple games where I watched of him during the year. Uh, when I throw the tape on, I can't remember which games they were, but there were some goal line sets in there where typically undersized linebackers struggle, and he's running right through and popping guys in the backfield, and it, his size really did not matter at all, playing in the SEC, going up against SEC offensive linemen. So I think he's tough. I think he is going to be better at the next level than he was in college. Just, you know, he's the priest of prototype. He's where the game's going. The game, the game is going to six foot, 230 pound linebackers that run sideline to sideline. He's exactly what uh, teams are looking for. If you plug him into a team such as the Atlanta Falcons, put him next mm. to Deion Jones, those two mm. guys could be wreaking havoc in that division for years to come. I know just put him in a place where he can run sideline to sideline. He's going to make a ton of plays for you. That would be a scary linebacker crew. We talk about <laughs> a ton of speed. Deion Jones is like a was like a high four three guy out of LSU, also and similar yeah. stature. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, but I think, you know, he'll plug in similarly, similarly to, to the LSU linebackers, you know, the Devin Whites, Quan Alexanders, Deion Jones. Um, you know, I think he's next in line. And I think you're right. You know, a guy who really is is he's not raw, but, you know, he hasn't played as much as a lot of these other prospects. And he's just going to keep getting better. Completely agree. So moving on to. Uh, pick number eight here, my fourth selection in this snake draft. I'm going to go with the other interior defensive lineman that people are talking up quite a bit. That's Derek Brown from Auburn. You know, he's he's been a consensus top 10 pick in mock drafts out there from the experts. He's huge. 6'5", 326, uh, ran a 5'1", 640, which is uh, pretty standard for a guy his size. If, if you get under five it obviously that's that's athleticism that's off the charts but he has he sufficient has athleticism um this guy really pops on tape you know he's very disruptive makes a ton of plays he has plays with great effort he's you see him running down plays all over the field which um for a guy his size definitely says something and uh, comes from a program that is very good at churning out good interior defensive alignment you know uh, Auburn Auburn produces a lot of good ones. They go up against SEC offenses left and right. Um, 
put him in against Alabama and uh, he's, he's causing issues for him. Maybe not to the degree that Kinlaw was. Uh, to me, the difference between those guys and why I have Kinlaw so much higher than I have Derek Brown is that I just I trust Kinlaw's ability to get to the quarterback at the next level more than I trust Derek Brown's. Um, and when I'm looking at first round defensive tackles, you know, being able to hit the quarterback is an essential trait for me if I'm taking you in the first round of the draft. Because if, if you look at what the NFL game is today, it's built around the passing game as far as who the difference makers are. Your, your, you know, your top positions are quarterback, um, pass rusher, defensive backs, receivers. And that that's pretty much – those are the positions that move the needle and that put – that end up being the difference between you winning and losing. And, and also you throw offensive tackle in there, being able to protect the passer. So I'm not sure I trust Derek Brown's ability to rack up double digit sacks in the NFL, which is why I have him a little bit lower, but that is not, not saying that he's not going to be a good player at the next level, because I think his ceiling is also as an interior defensive lineman, extremely high. I would agree with that. I think, I think his ceiling is extremely high. I think I think uh, his motor is high. I think he's extremely powerful. I think he's 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 really just a black hole on the line. Um, he's surprisingly quick and flexible. Um, I think the thing that dropped him down for us, Tony, is he just he really just needs to lose some of that bad weight. Um, and you know during during combine season and stuff, you you expect guys to be you know kind of tightened up and, and ready to rock the best they can be and um, you know, Ken Law is a freaking brick house on the line. And, uh, you know, Derek Brown can certainly be every bit of that as well. Um, he just, you know, he needs to get in a good conditioning program, tighten up just a little bit. Obviously, he needs, he's a big guy and that's fine. But, um, you know, he, he has an extremely high ceiling and we all just want him to tap into it. Yeah, I know you sent me a picture that you found online of uh, the Panthers offensive or uh Panthers general manager Marty Herney talking with Derek Brown at one of the uh, one of the combine events, and uh, I, I just I made note of just how skinny this guy's arms are, which uh, it looks really awkward on a guy who's six five three twenty to have really skinny arms like that. Um, but I, I agree. I think I think from a conditioning standpoint, and I, you know he's he's a, a a lump of clay that an NFL strength and conditioning program can really transform. You know, if, if, if he ends up getting stronger in there in the middle with his size, he's going to be an absolute game wrecker on the interior. Um, I, I think just the difference for me that that separates Kinlaw from him is I think Kinlaw can very consistently hit the quarterback at the next level yep. with, with yep. his length. So moving on to my last pick in this draft, the one I'm going to I'm going to finish up with and uh I guess I'm going to end up going four for five picks in the Big Ten here because I'm, I'm sticking there. I'm going up to Madison, Wisconsin. I'm going to take Zach Bond, 6'2", 238 pounds, ran a 4'6", 540. Uh, there are some questions here as to whether you would consider him a, a defensive end, edge rusher, or a linebacker. I think I, I kind of have him in my linebacker rankings. Uh, but this guy's just a football player. Man, you throw the tape on, he is all over the field. He's great at uh, shocking blockers with his hands and getting rid of them. He's got sideline to sideline speed. I think his his forty yard dash time really silenced you know any questions that might be out there about uh, his long speed. Um, 
but he's definitely athletic enough. He put up 24 bench press reps. He's strong. You know, he's just a guy that uh, really, re- regardless of what you ask him to do in your defense at the next level, I think he's going to be successful. And I think there's a couple schemes out there. I'm thinking like the New England Patriots, like what they like to do with guys that are typically edge rushers in college and throw them back at linebacker. I think they could really maximize a talent like Zach Bond and make him a force at the next level. But I think his floor is just so high that even if you get him with a defensive coordinator that misuses him, he's going to be a productive player at the next level. I completely agree with that. I think his testing was just icing on the cake because his tape really jumps off. Um, Very high floor, high IQ, um, great technique as a pass rusher, very quick um, with with good vertical speed, Um, uses his hands well, um, but it is a little scheme specific. And we we had a text offline about this. It's just – where you know who's he going to get with you know is 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 that defensive coordinator going to utilize him in the right way i agree that new england would be a phenomenal fit um you know especially them losing a guy like van noy um he could kind of go in and and fill that gap um but yeah i i think you know pretty much a home run pick maybe back into the first round for somebody and um he should be an instant impact guy as long as he gets into the right hands yeah, and, and the good thing about Wisconsin defenders, you can always trust the intangibles from them. You know they're, you know they're they're technically sound. They're they play with high motor nonstop, and you know this guy fits the bill there. And they're usually high character guys. So any any of the off the field concerns you might have with some guys, you don't typically have with a guy like that. And Zach Bond's no different. So, all right, Charlie, bring us home here. Who's going to be the last pick in our first round snake draft here? Oh, man. Um, I'm really excited for this one because it's been an extremely controversial uh, free fall in, in just overall um, uh, projections and mock drafts and so on and so forth. But but I love this guy. I think he's an absolute day one um, impact. And it's Grant Delpit out of LSU and Baton Rouge. Um, if you could create a safety it would be Grant Delpit, 6'3", 201, absolutely explosive. Um, he's he's physical. He has a quick trigger and just an animal playing forward. Um, he has, you know, good versatility and coverage, um, good length, obviously, at 6'3". He's a good blitzer. He's he's pretty much a jack-of-all-trades. He can line up everywhere in the back seven of the, of the field. Um, and he kind of – he reminds me a lot of a Harrison Smith. Um, who's also an ultra athletic, big safety, um, just, just a savvy guy, similar size. I think he's a little bit faster than, than, than Harrison Smith, but, um, I think, you know, a similar Jack of all trades who can line up and play almost in a linebacker hybrid role or can drop back cover basically any tight end and even some receivers, um, you know, Delpit has has free fall in 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 rankings just because he has a tendency to miss big he he whiffed on some tackles um but but that can be fixed um you know with with just what you're working with when you talk about you know you know just a hunk of clay for somebody to get their hands on if he gets in the right system um if he gets with the right defensive coordinator who who really can mold him um, I, I'm really excited to see this guy just, just be an absolute steal because, you know, before this season, it's crazy that a guy could win a national championship, win a Thorpe award and have his stock drop 
um, pre-drafted. It really doesn't make any sense to me. But before this season, this guy was almost a surefire top five pick with high football IQ. And um, I'm just really excited to see how this molds because someone looks to be getting like an absolute steal in the back end of the first round. I would take him in the top 15 picks personally. I completely agree. And I I think his fall reminds me a lot of Derwin James from a couple years ago Mm. where the going into that season, his, his last season of college play, you were talking about him being a top five, top 10 play. He was going to be the guy at the safety position and then didn't really have that great of a senior season, you know, up to, up to the standards that he had set for previous years and kind of just got overanalyzed a little bit. And I mean, he didn't have a massive drop. He dropped to pick 17 and the chargers took him and he's been lights out in the NFL when he's been able to stay on the field, you know, Delpit, from a measurable standpoint, is very similar to James. They're both about 6'2", 215. Um, we don't have any combine uh, athletics, athleticism numbers on Delpit yet, but Derwin James ran a 4'4'7", 21 bench press reps, and a 40-inch vertical. I, I got to think Delpit's probably going to be in that range, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, this, just, this just feels like you know, he, had, he had his worst season of his career – at the wrong time, but still, still know, how, the how bad was that season? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like maybe it didn't measure up to the year before, but it was still pretty good season. So I think there's a lot of over analysis going on with Grant Delpit right now. I agree with you. I, I would take him with a top 20 pick and I think he's the best safety in this class. Um, I just think people have overthought it a little bit. I think he's had, he's had some question, his effort here and there, um, we were at the dig into the tape to see if that's an issue moving forward. It's just it's so much of this narrative just reminds me of the Derwin James narrative from a couple of years ago. And you, you get him in the NFL and he's completely fine. That's <laughs> he's, a great he's call. Actually, yeah. He's actually a big time playmaker at the next level. And I think Delpit has that, that possibility too. I love that comp. That's a, that's an excellent call. I mean, you talk about the Dallas Cowboys who, you know, everyone's been, Talking about their hole at safety, um, that defense with Delpit behind, you know, Jalen Smith and Vander Esch. Oh my gosh! I mean, that would be scary. Um, and that's a match made in heaven right there. But looking forward to seeing where he lands, and uh, just you know, any guy who can have his worst season and win the Thorpe Award is okay by me. So yes, yeah, that's the that's, that's the way you're doing it right, right there. So just to recap here, the, the 10 pick snake draft that we had, I led things off. I took Chase Young from Ohio State. Uh, no surprise there. And then likewise, no surprise with the second pick, Charlie taking Isaiah Simmons, linebacker from Clemson. Then pick three, Charlie taking Javon Kinlaw, defensive tackle from South Carolina. Pick four, uh, pick four and five were made by me. Four was Jeff Okuda, cornerback from Ohio State. Number five, Yeter Gross Matos, defensive end from Penn State. Pick six and seven made by Charlie Thurber. Uh, and the picks number six is C.J. Henderson, cornerback from Florida. Pick seven, Patrick Queen, linebacker from LSU. Pick eight made by myself. That is Derek Brown, defensive tackle from Auburn. And pick nine, Zach Bond, linebacker from Wisconsin. And then Charlie brought us home with pick number 10, Grant Delpit at safety. So look at the two teams we put together here. 
Uh, I think my team is going to be a little more reliant on hopefully getting to the quarterback because I didn't invest uh, anything on the back end, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Hey, no, you have a you have Okuda. You know, with with your pass rush, I think That's your right. team That's will right. be built built pretty pretty strong there. Um, you know, you have Okuda and Gross Matos. Um, you know, and Derek Brown up front. I think. Uh, you know, and then you have Bond. You know, so I think. Yeah, that's that's the perfect the perfect storm for a guy like Akuda, right? Um, and 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 you know my team is is a little more ball hawking playmakers, and uh, so you know we kind of the world was our oyster with our draft, and uh, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, completely agree. So, um, give, give me give me one name we didn't talk about here. Who's who's another guy you think we should be talking about a little more? So we talked about this, uh, you know, offline multiple times. There's so much depth to be had. Um, we had a hard time um, putting together five picks each because once you get through those first few picks, there's just so much in that range that would be a suitable and even a great pick. Um, so I'm going to skip over a lot of guys and go with a guy that um, that isn't really talked about. He's not necessarily my next guy off the board, but he's a guy that is, a, is an absolute sleeper that um you know i think will will turn out to be at least a high quality starter in the nfl if not better um and that's noah igbanogakni from auburn um this guy is he's raw he's a converted receiver a track athlete um we thought he was going to run a little better in the combine but the thing that's surprising is, is his tape really sticks out to me um you know he held his own as a starter for two years in the sec even despite that raw, you know, newness to the position, um, he, he's he has explosive click and close ability, um, and is a scrappy press co- coverage corner. Um, I, I'm really excited to see how this guy. You know, we we talked about a handful of guys who aren't going to hit their ceiling for even a few years in the in the NFL, like a Kinlaw or like a like a CJ Henderson. I think I think Igbonogakni follows into that pattern uh, my comp for him um is janoris jenkins uh when you when you break down the combine and the and the numbers and even how they play jenkins you know they call him jackrabbit um had a had a few wildly productive first few years in the league and and was even considered one of the you know topper echelon corners in the league um until recently the giants their defense was decimated he had a rough year but then he caught on with the saints and had a great postseason this year just a very productive NFL corner, but when you look at their numbers, um, they're both 5'10", 5'11". Noah Igbinogakni ran a 4'48". Jenkins ran a 4'46". They both had, well, Igbinogakni had a 37-inch vert. uh, Jenkins had a 34-inch vert. But I think they play very similar in that jackrabbit mold, um, just a classic man cover who who both come into the league kind of raw and um, just grow into a starting everyday role as a corner. Yeah, I like him a lot. I've, I watched him a little bit this morning before we before we jumped on this podcast, and um, his his game reminds me a little bit of Joe Hayden, with especially just looking at him from a body type standpoint. He looks a lot like Joe did. Um, you know, he's he's shorter, a little stockier, but he's he's tough as nails. Um, doesn't have any problem mirroring and running with uh, receivers. I think he shows really good patience in his press coverage um, technique too. So, I think I think there's a a lot of uh, a lot of runway for him at the next level, especially you get him in a good scheme that fits him. I I, I like that. I, I like to keep an eye on him as well. Awesome, awesome! I'm so excited to see him. 
Yeah, on, on my side, the one guy I think that we should probably mention a little bit because he's a guy who's getting a lot of looks in mock drafts as a top 20 pick is uh, Caleb on chase on uh, defensive end from LSU. Um, definitely one of the more lean prospects in this draft. He's 6'3", 254. Uh, he's a, he's a, your prototypical speed rusher off the edge. Um, and I have him lower than a lot of others do. Maybe some of this is just being a Cleveland Browns fan and the fact that I just can't get the image of Barkevious Mingo out of my head when I watch this guy. Because <laughs> uh, his game reminds me of him a ton, even if you look at the measurables, you know, Chase on 6'3", 254. Uh, Mingo, 6'4", 241. Uh, Mingo ran a 4'5", 40, 37 inch vertical chase on didn't test at the, at the combine, but I, I expect he's probably going to be in that neighborhood as well. You know, the thing that bothers me with him is that he's really a, a one trick pony. As far as pass rush moves go, uh, he's just trying to run by guys. And at the next level, you have to have a change up to that. And you have to have a rush plan. Um, right now he's just trying to outrun people to the corner and, Offensive linemen at the next level are just going to swipe him right by. And that's exactly what happened to Mingo uh, once he got to Cleveland. That that whole run by the tackle on the outside thing worked for about the first game or two. And then for the next two, three seasons of his career in Cleveland, uh, he couldn't sniff the quarterback because he never really developed a changeup to that. And you see a couple of times where Chase on tries to, to counter inside. He just isn't very strong right now. Um, he needs to needs to get in that NFL weight room and build up his strength because if, if linemen or even even when tight ends get their hands on him, it tends to be a bit of a problem for him. So I think he's he's more raw than a lot of the experts are letting on to. And I think you're really going to have to get him in the right scheme. He's another one that I think uh, if, if the Patriots ended up taking him at pick, uh, I think they're at like 23, if uh, – Belichick would put him in a position to do what he does best and he would be just fine. But I think there's going to be a lot of defensive pointers out there that if they get their hands on him, they would try and plug and play him in a spot uh, that isn't ideal for him. Um, and he could have a tough time developing. So that's why I have him a little bit lower than a lot of the other pass rushers in this class and a lot lower than some of the other analysts out there. Yeah, I love that evaluation. I think I think there's no argument. This guy can out-athlete, you know, just about anyone. Um, but, you know, he's really relied on that. So I, I think, you know, that, that makes it essential for him to get in with the right guy, um, the right program, um, to get stronger, to increase his repertoire, and, and utilize that athleticism. Because when you get to the NFL, um, there, there are – are only a handful of guys who can really out-athlete anyone. You know, you're talking Tyreek Hill, Julio Jones, you know, a handful of guys. And then it becomes technique savvy um, and the combination of athleticism and um, just just polish. So hopefully he gets that opportunity. But um, I think just overall a great eval. Absolutely. I think he's probably a guy that if, if we were talking about him going in the second round, I would think it'd be great value. But if we're talking about him being a first round guy, I, I think it'd be a bit of a reach for me just on my side. Um, but looking back at this draft, I, I think we, we nailed down some two pretty good teams here, dude. I think uh, um, that was a lot of fun. I think that shed a lot of good light to some of our listeners here and some of these top prospects are. Uh, you, re- you ready to bring it home with some mailbag? I sure am.
All right, so let's get to it. The inaugural episode of the Frosty Mailbag kicking off here. Our first one comes from Donald in Washington, D.C. Where did you guys even come from? How are we supposed to know that you're legit at breaking down these prospects? Who have you hit on or missed on in the past? Unlike me, all my projections are hits. I've never missed on a projection. Try to be more like me. Well, okay, Donald. Um, we, will, we will definitely try to be a little more on top of our game here. Charlie, you have any uh, any any best picks you've had in the past or any worst ones that really come to mind? Uh, I'll give you one of each. Um, so worst, and I hate to say this, but you know, I, I still root for the guy. I, I literally somewhere deep down in me, I still hope he gets a starting position and, and resurrects his career. And who knows, maybe it could happen in today's NFL more suited to him, but it's, it's going to be RG three. Um, you know, I know he came out hot and, you know, had a great rookie season and then, you know, had some injuries and such, but just, you know, from, I literally thought this guy was going to be the best quarterback in the league. Um, I thought he had every tool. I thought he could run, I thought he could throw, um, thought he, he had the makeup and, and maybe he did. Maybe it just was a bad marriage, um, between him and Shanahan. And then, everything that happened in Washington with Kirk Cousins taking over. But I'm just going to give that a big whiff on my end um, as to, you know, RG3 being, you know, a top three quarterback in the league. I was right there with you on the RG3 one, dude. I, I thought he was going to be a really good quarterback. I think I think RG3's biggest issue is that uh, he loved himself some RG3 after that rookie season. <laughs> he got, he sure he got injured. He kind of got fat off his own essence, stopped, stopped working as hard as he was before, and he just never regained it. It's, it's a, a sad story because I think he had a lot of promise and could have definitely been you know, one, of, one of the better guys in this league from a talent standpoint. He had all the tools you need uh, and was off to a great start. He just, um, after that rookie season, just couldn't put it together after that. And I, I think a lot of that is just mentally just wasn't as coachable as he needed to be. Mm complacency it's it's the enemy especially for athletes so it's the worst okay so i'll give you i'll give you a good call um you know tony and i are we're dynasty league players because you know we love we love building you know really from the bottom and and calling it before these guys are actually hits and uh two wide outs that we're really big on I, i like to think that wide receivers are kind of my bread and butter um and you know, the two guys last year who really weren't getting much love, but we felt like they were just standout values uh, were Deontay Johnson um, going to Pittsburgh and Debo Samuel, um, who now is, you know, a superstar in everyone's eyes. But, you know, go way back before the draft last year and, and people really didn't know who he was. Um, but both of us really uh, were pretty bold and bullish on those two. And uh, they look to be off to the start of some great careers each. Yeah, this was frustrating last year in the dynasty draft because both both Charlie and I had essentially the same exact rankings for our receiver position and were jockeying left and right to try and pick these guys in this draft. Uh, but the top receiver I had on, on my board was Paris Campbell. And I was trying like crazy to get up ahead of him in the draft and take him. And then Charlie took him. <laughs> so obviously yeah. that one doesn't look as good now as it did when they made it since Andrew Luck up and retired. But I still think Paris Campbell's a really good player. And if they get a good quarterback there in, in Indianapolis, they're going to unlock his potential as well. But as uh, do I, I, w- I would agree with that. Um, you know, as we, as we mentioned earlier, things become very, 
situation specific, whether that be scheme or surrounding personnel or a combination of the two. Um, but yeah, I'm set up to have quite a few busts here, Donald, um, maybe for, for this past year as I traded up for Paris Campbell. And I also added two second round picks um, to take Hakeem Butler out of Iowa State, now with the Cardinals, with the first pick in the second round, and then Justice Hill, all of whom um, was pretty bullish on. So there's a there's a medium to high risk that uh, we'll revisit this question next year or two years down the road, and I might have some new answers for you. Yeah, very difficult to define anybody as a bust after one season, but definitely some guys that had a harder time showing off their talent the first year. I was super high on Hakeem Butler, too. He was one of my top guys last year, and I think I think he's in the right place for him, too, in Arizona. If he can stay healthy and stay on the field with the way they run four receivers out there every, every snap, I think there's going to be a lot of potential for him to really show that off. And obviously, Justice Hill um, – Kind of needs to get Mark Ingram out of the way to get a little more playing time to see if he's see if he's good, see if he's not good. It's just kind of like an incomplete grade there on that one. But um, I got hit on the same side at the J.J. Ortega White side, who I took in round two. Um, not a prospect that I loved really in last year's draft. I just loved the opportunity for him going to the Philadelphia, being able to fill that Alshon Jeffrey role eventually for them in that offense playing with a a uh, legitimate franchise quarterback in Carson Wentz and in an offense that loves to throw the ball um, returns were pretty underwhelming first year uh, there especially with how decimated the receiving core for Philadelphia was he was definitely able to get on the field a decent amount and just didn't show anything so this is going to be a big year for him to kind of prove me right on that call because right now that one is leaning heavily towards a bust as well it sure will be interesting uh they've uh they've struggled with uh i don't know if it's necessarily identifying you know the receiver talent or just developing it when you look at artega whiteside and uh nelson Aguilar and the like so um you know you still got to hold out hope for these guys you know we don't want anyone to be a bust i feel like we both you know share that we're we're pulling for everyone to kind of get that opportunity to succeed but um yeah, it, it'll be interesting seeing that going into year two. Absolutely agree. And on my side, if I'm looking at some of my best picks through the past couple of years, I um, I think Mitch Trubisky was a big one for me. I was not real high on him coming out. I thought he should have been picked in the 20 to 30 pick range. Uh, definitely not at the top of the draft. Definitely not a guy that a team should trade up to get. Um I, I kind of thought he had the potential to be, you know, in that 15 to 25 range if, if you're ranking quarterbacks in the NFL. Not a lot higher than that. I think I think he hurt himself a little bit by coming out too early. And I know it's, it's hard to look backwards and say that when the guy goes number two overall and gets the type of money that comes with that. It, it seems almost foolish to, to say that, but I think – from the standpoint of where his game was, he really needed another year of seasoning in, in college to work out some of the kinks that instead he's had to work out at the NFL level where there's less room for error and the bullets are moving a lot faster. And he's really struggled to adjust to that. And I, that was just about where I had him 
projected as an as an NFL player. Uh, I, I thought he would struggle to adjust, and he has. So th- this next coming season for him is going to be really big for him to reverse that trend because I fully expect the Bears to bring in somebody to compete with him there. Um, and then I've, I've had a couple other decent ones in, in later rounds. Cooper Cup has one of my top receivers. He's, he's made me look pretty good out there in L.A. Kareem Hunt, I was really high on. Uh, coming out of Toledo and you know obviously his issues have not been on the field uh, he's been very good ball on the field but if we're looking at our our worst picks mine is hands down the biggest whiff I have ever had evaluating prospects is Patrick Mahomes <laughs> this isn't even close uh, I know you and I Charlie had talked uh, offline about this uh, earlier in the week and I, I told you the story of me uh, watching Mahomes for the first time when I was going through uh, the tape there. And the, I think the very first tape I threw on from him from Texas Tech was a game against Oklahoma. This game was just a complete shootout. I think he threw the ball, I want to say, 80 times in this game from a pass attempt standpoint. It was ungodly, the number of pass attempts that were out there. And I didn't even make it through the entire game. I, I think I watched into the third quarter, and I turned the tape off because – uh, in my head, I, I was just—I was only looking at the uh, top guys at that point, the guys in the first round conversation. I'm like, this guy's not going to be in the first round conversation. He's going to be a late round flyer type of guy. He's kind of all over the place. So I turned the tape off, and then a month later, I'm seeing mock drafts where this guy's being projected to go top ten. And I'm going back, scrambling, trying to figure out what I missed. Um, and all the way really through the process, I wasn't real high on him. Um, Really, when I look back at his game and what, I, what my evaluation was of him at the time was he's a he was Johnny Manziel with prototypical size. He was a guy who was running all over the field. There's no pressure in his face. He's still running outside the pocket, uh, look, playing pretty much playground ball out there. Um, but the physical tools were hard to ignore. You know, he's, he's got the rocket arm. He was pretty accurate in college he would definitely have some times where he would throw the ball into the dirt trying to force things and, um, but for the most part had accuracy out there uh, I, I think the part that has made me the most wrong on him was it just it's so much like any other prospect it's dependent on where you go he went to the absolute perfect place for him to go in Kansas City with Andy Reid uh, who is uh, probably the biggest QB whisperer out there being able to sit behind Alex Smith for a year who uh, was probably one of the best QBs to sit behind because he's a guy who's going to take the younger guys under his wing, which most veteran quarterbacks don't do. And he just landed in the perfect situation. And now he's an NFL MVP and a Super Bowl MVP and a Super Bowl champion and making me look like an asshole. <laughs> he, he did land in a great situation. And, and you think about it, you know, if he if he landed in Chicago or and started immediately and uh, wasn't developed with such a guru like Andy Reid or, you know, the mentorship of Alex Smith, where would he be now? Um, I think it's pretty easy to say nowhere close to where he is, but I think it's also come out that, you know, he's a dynamic person and leader. Um, He just is. Um, We, we didn't know that. I don't think um, we can really hold it against you because just whether it be um, Texas tech having limited exposure, I think, you know, I would agree with you on the aspect of when the hype started to happen, I was kind of like, well, I guess this guy's a really strong arm. And, you know, people are always looking for a quarterback and stretching for a quarterback. You could relate it a little bit to this year's version of like Jordan Love, 
we don't really know what we're going to get because we haven't seen him, you know, really pressed at the college level against the high level competition. And, uh, you know, is it for real or is it not? And in this case, it was one of the rare cases where it was real. And, uh, you know, you put just a incredible arm talent and dynamic person with the perfect mentor and it was just a perfect storm. And now you have the NFL MVP. So, um, there we are. Yeah, can't really discount the, the part about having a, uh, a a father who played in professional sports too. Uh, looking back, uh, I probably should have given that a little more merit than it actually was because guys that ha- that grow up like that, just, they just know the expectations coming in. Um, probably something I would weigh a little more heavily uh, this time around with, uh, say, Antoine Winfield uh, Jr. there in Minnesota with his dad playing Pro Bowl. I think that's that's huge now, and I maybe maybe didn't feel quite strongly about that in the past, but. And that's a big part of the, about this evaluation game. You, you learn every year and you try to fine tune your process. And I think uh, there was a lot to learn for me from, from this Mahomes example. Yeah, for sure. And, and just to build on the Winfield Jr. guy, we did not have a chance to touch on today, but just an exceptional prospect. Um, a guy who stood out as just, you know, the bloodline showed through on the field, the instinctive high IQ, um, you know, I'm beating the ball to the spot. Um, I'm able to play multiple spots in the defensive secondary. Um, my game speed um, is just elite. Um, we we didn't realize he was going to test as well as he did, and he comes out and he runs a, a mid 4-4. Um, you're talking about a sleeper first rounder there. So I just wanted to throw that in with the Antoine Winfield uh, reference. Yeah, definitely. All right, back to the mailbag here. We have one from Joe in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Would you guys be able to talk through some of your best team prospect fits for guys at the top of the draft? For instance, Joe Burrow's best fit would be in Los Angeles with the Chargers in great weather with solid weapons around me. I mean, him. Definitely not Cincinnati. That would be the absolute worst fit. Anxious to hear what you guys think. All right, that one was a little weird, Charlie. Um, uh Go go ahead and uh, give me give me two of your best fits that you think from a team to prospect standpoint in the top of the draft. Well, first off, Joe from Baton Rouge, uh, Joe Burrow's not making it to the L.A. Chargers. He's he's going to be well gone before pick <laughs> number six, <laughs> unless the Chargers somehow leverage trading, you know, Derwin James and Joey Bosa for, um, you know, trading up in the draft. I, I'm not seeing that one happening. So, but my um, additions would be, and maybe somewhat selfishly, um, you know, would love to see uh, Isaiah Simmons in, in Carolina. Just, we just lost, you know, maybe the franchise most productive player ever in Luke Keekley um, to retirement just due to his overall health and concussion issues. But just was a dynamic commander and leader across the field with exceptional range. And you don't, whether it be through free agency or whatever the case may be, you really don't get an opportunity as a franchise to replace a player like that. Um, and by no means would Simmons replace him, but he he's that caliber of player to where I, I feel he could have a similar impact. Um, you plug him in, he, he instantly brings sideline to sideline um, and even just exceptional vertical range that Keekley didn't bring. But, you know, you're never going to replace a Luke Keekley, but 
it's the closest you can come to replacing that vibe on your defense. It completely redefines your whole defense. He's a day one leader. Um, Shaq Thompson can stay in his role. Um, guys, Brian Burns can continue to expand in his role. And Simmons can become the defensive leader in the middle of the field. So that would be a dream fit for me. Um, secondly, I, I'd like to, to mention, and I want to hear your feedback on both of these. Um, you look at what Tyreek Hill's done in Kansas City. Um, with Patrick Mahomes, you talk about things coming together for a perfect fit. There's a guy who, in another city, I don't know that he becomes a wide receiver one. Um, it just was the perfect offense, the perfect coach, the perfect quarterback. Um, I think Denver has a wide open hole across the field from Cortland Sutton, who's an emerging wide receiver one. And I think getting a guy like Henry Ruggs in there with with a young Drew Locke, who, who's got a cannon, extremely strong strong arm, he's got confidence, I think he's a budding star at quarterback. Um, and if they brought in Henry Ruggs, just a dynamic, fast athlete, wide receiver from Alabama who actually has a high level of polish and ability to run a route tree, um, what that could do to that offense, it could become explosive very fast. Yeah, I like both those fits a lot. I think on the Isaiah Simmons note for for your Panthers, you know that would, that would be the easiest way to heal that wound that's sitting there in the middle of your defense right now for Carolina. That you know Keekley is one of the all time greats at linebacker in my opinion. I don't, there's very few that hunt the football the way he did and play the game from a mental standpoint the way he did. Being able to put Simmons in there right after him, I think, uh, would heal some of that bleeding a little bit. And then you, you have you have Simmons and Shaq Thompson uh, for the next seven to eight years, which uh, you get to follow up Thomas Davis and Luke Keekley with that combo. I think that's a pretty good transition for the Panthers there. Um, for sure. And, and on the rug side, uh, I like I like that fit a lot too, especially with the arm strength that, that Locke has, and with some of the other weapons that are in Denver. I think there's going to be I, I I could run through and probably suggest rugs would be a good fit for a lot of these teams, because <laughs> especially with the premium the league is putting on speed right now, with the the model that the Chiefs have just given to everybody as a Super Bowl winning template. You know, Denver is going to be hot on the trails of this guy. I would argue that he would be a good fit for Arizona in that four receiver set. We've we've mm -hmm. mentioned before that we don't think receivers the way they should go with that pick, but it's going to be hard for that organization to lay off the eye candy on that point, I think. And I, I think the Eagles are going to be really going after rugs too, to possibly pair with Wentz. So I think that Denver fit is a really good one. And I think they're going to have to work a little bit to get him because I'm not sure they're going to be able to sit there at 15 and wait for him. They are, and I just think it's it's essential to Locke's development. I mean, he has the chance to develop into a high, in my opinion, a high-end, if not elite quarterback in the league. And, um, you know, I think Elway's going to be pretty bullish on that. They've kind of swung and missed with the Osweilers and the Joe Flaccos and the Trevor Simeons of the world. Um, and it's time for them to, to kind of have that franchise quarterback and that, that offensive foundation to build off. So, you know, it would be most exciting if it were rugs. But, you know, as we can touch on later and through our mock next next episode, there are plenty of uh, solid secondary options. And especially in this draft as as fast wide receivers who could complement a, a, a dynamic wide receiver, one like Cortland Sutton. Absolutely. And I, I agree with you. I think both those teams could really maximize the talents of those guys. Uh, on my side, if I'm looking at really good draft fits. I think the first one would be uh, the 
the DB that you were really high on, C.J. Henderson in Jacksonville, being able to replace that Jalen Ramsey, who's a, a big hole for their defense right now. They also just got rid of A.J. Boye, who they sent to Denver. They badly need a shutdown corner, and I think Henderson would be a good fit for them there. Um, kind of gets plugged into a situation where the team is going to be a, in a bit of a rebuilding mode too. Uh, but I think he brings the type of swagger and leadership in that secondary that they desperately need right now. Um and, you know, in, in a division where the passing game is becoming uh, increasingly important there, guarding receivers such as DeAndre Hopkins and the Colts are not going to stay down. They're going to have some good receivers, T.Y. Hilton, and Paris Campbell, to, that are going to need to be covered. I think Henderson would be a good fit there and would help to kind of overcome that loss of Ramsey and Boye back there, give them a good guy to build around. I completely agree with you on that, um, you know, to, to have, you know, last year's first-round pick and Josh Allen um, on the edge and a young Miles Jack, who's a budding star at middle linebacker, and C.J. Henderson kind of redefines those defensive building blocks. Um, you know, I saw the other day that Fournette, Leonard Fournette, is basically the only remaining part from that Saxonville um, group. The, the so you know they, they need to start you know identifying who they're going to build around and and uh, then you know with Henderson you have you have a stud in each of the three levels of the defense who you can kind of have a foundational piece yeah with those multiple first round picks they have they have a chance to really retool that defense in this draft and I think that's got to be exciting if you're a Jaguars fan there they could, they could get a couple different pieces for different levels of that defense and then uh, my other great fit, and this one probably a little bit of a homer pick on my part, but for the Browns, uh, Tristan Wirfs, offensive tackle from Iowa, just a great, great athlete out there on the on the edge. He played right tackle for them. He's played a little bit of left tackle, definitely a little more comfortable fit on the right side, but I think he can play either at the next level. Um, he's just so good in a, in a zone-blocking scheme, which is the type of a uh, running scheme that Kevin Stefanski is going to be bringing uh, to the, to the Browns this year. I think he would be a seamless fit for what they're trying to do with his athleticism. He ran a four, nine, four 40 uh, at the combine, uh, just a great mover, but also extremely strong. And, and you can usually trust linemen that come from programs such as, you know, Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio state, the, uh, Big 10 type offenses that are going to run a lot of the same blocking schemes the NFL ones do. I don't think you would have to spend a lot of time developing this guy. He's plug and play in my book. And I think he is the absolute best fit for the Browns. I'm not convinced he's going to make it to them at 10. I think they would have to move up to get him. And I'm not sure uh, with this regime's love of draft picks and hoarding them that they would uh, do something like that. Uh, but he would definitely be the slam dunk pick for the Brownies there. Absolute slam dunk, just a dynamic athlete, offensive tackle. And, and that's what you need with, you know, defenses like Pittsburgh and Baltimore, who just have ridiculous pass rush capabilities, ancillary players like Bud Dupree, who are spelled by, you know, middle linebackers like Devin White. Um, Baker needs that um, to really help him unlock that passing game like we're all just itching to see him do with uh, Odell Jarvis and, and the rest of the group completely agree that would that would definitely unlock the offense there and, and 
maybe give the, some of the fireworks that people were expecting to see last year for him. So that would be huge. Uh, back to the mailbag. This one's coming from Drew in Miami, Florida. My guys, free agency is right around the corner, I think. As a representative for many of these prospective free agents, I'm really interested to hear where you think some of these big-name dudes are heading. Obviously, I already know the answers, but I'd love to hear how wrong all your projections are. Man, and these I think guys are some... all coming in hot today, huh? They are, man. They're, they're coming right after us. Um, so I, I guess if we're doing a free agency discussion, we most of this just starts and ends with Tom Brady. What, what are your thoughts on that one? He is the key cog to all of this, I think. I think – and I think he knows it too. You know, it's it's like when LeBron's hit the market in the NBA. Everything depends on where he goes, and uh, then all the pieces will fall. So um, he definitely has some some intriguing options. That's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. And he's been he's been linked, obviously, to staying in New England. I think that would be the favorite in the clubhouse out there. But he's been linked to the LA Chargers for quite some time. Uh, he's been linked to Miami a little bit. Uh, and recently, you've been hearing a lot of Tennessee, especially with his his relationship with Mike Vrabel down there and the, the type of offense they have. Uh, that's really, if you plug an elite quarterback in there, they're ready to compete for Super Bowls. Um, just one to, more I'll know. add in too is is Tampa Bay. You know, Bruce Arians. He has you know mm-hmm. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, um, and some warm weather. So I'll throw that one in yeah. also. Yeah. That, that's a good point. So what factors do you think are going to be important to Brady when he's making his decision here? So it's my impression that, you know, obviously we all know he wants weapons. Um, but that I think there's some truth to the Belichick and Brady. They, they each kind of want to do it on their own. Um, they're, they're ready for that next step to do something differently. And I think when you look at Brady, I think, I think he's going to want to have almost – almost commissioner control, like to have powers over roster moves um, and to have more say in just the overall scheme of the offense. I think he's felt limited um, and just kind of handcuffed in new England. And I don't know that they can get past those, those, that impasse. Um, So I think that's going to play a huge role in what he ultimately chooses. I agree. And I I think in, in going with that, um, that frame of mind there, especially when you consider, you know, the, the type of area uh, that he'd, he'd move to and his family would temporarily move to um, while, he, while he's playing at this next level. I think all signs to me and have been pointing for quite some time, they point to L.A. with the Chargers. I think the Chargers are going to be willing to do a lot of different things for him. I think so. I, th- I think the, the move they made um, shipping Russell Coombe out to out to Carolina to get Trey Turner um, helps them in this pursuit a little bit because now they have the ability to basically get two offensive linemen for the price of one. They didn't have to give up a premium pick to get Turner, who has been a Pro Bowl lineman, and now they can also pick with that number seven pick a top offensive lineman in one of the best offensive line drafts in years. And then all of a sudden that offensive line that was – uh, a really big problem area for the Chargers last year becomes a strength for you to put Brady behind. So in my opinion, I think if he leaves New England, I think they're the leader in the clubhouse. I would agree with you. Um, and and two things to add to that is just, okay, 
number one, they, they have a, an excellent defense, a young, dynamic, excellent defense, and they have high-level high weapons in Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and they just tagged Hunter Henry, who you know is the type of t- tight end who could thrive with Tom Brady. Um, and, you know, they re-signed Austin Eckler. When you look at the, the, um, the success that James White has had, that those receiving backs have had with Tom, um, uh, just a perfect complimentary piece. And then the, really overall, the thing that really is the selling point for Tom here is there are other teams in this race with weapons, um, coaching, so on and so forth. But the L.A. Chargers are, are really a blank slate. Um, the talent is an added plus. But when you talk about post-playing career opportunity to for him to maybe get into ownership or, you know, doing something kind of Elway-ish and, and, you know, taking over the team from a GM perspective, really, you know, he he has those chances in L.A. It's it's an area, it's a dynamic area for a celebrity of that, that status. Um, and it's a brand new stadium. And he can kind of get himself ingrained and invested into the fabric of what the Chargers football program is going to become and uh, almost run his own show. And nobody needs Tom Brady more than the Chargers do, honestly. Uh, with fighting for fans out there, playing in a, a soccer stadium that they can't even sell out. You know, they they really need this. And I think they're going to be positioned where they're going to be throwing the house at Tom Brady. So for for just interest and for the remainder of this conversation here in free agency, let's say Tom Brady goes to the Chargers. What's the next domino to go then? Well, I think I think Bill Belichick has his pick of the litter, right? It's 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 up to him. Um, you know, there have even been some crazy rumors that I think are ridiculous that they could trade Brady to the sign and trade Brady to the 49ers and you know, Garoppolo would come back to New England. I think that's a little far-fetched, but honestly, what could Belichick do with a guy like Jameis Winston, um, who, you know, with a little more discipline in, in the passing game, you know, with the LASIK surgery, um, he's a young guy who's thriving um, in just overall passing yards. He knows how to get it done. Um, that's a guy, I mean, you really have to, you have to look at the options here and think that Bill would want somebody he could, you know, maybe come in and play right away and develop also and just almost to prove a point that, hey, listen, I could turn anyone into Tom Brady. Yeah, Belichick's going to be the very interesting piece there to see which way he went. It, it wouldn't surprise me if he ended up going the trade market, honestly, uh, rather than shelling out big dollars for any of these guys that are going to be on the free agent market. Because if he goes out and signs somebody like Ryan Tannehill, he's going to have to give him big time money to come in in a free agent. Yep. You end up you end up overpaying for everybody in free agency. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he went the route of trade and went and traded for somebody like Andy Dalton to come in and run his offense, and then use some of that money that's freed up uh, to put weapons around Dalton, uh, unlike what he was doing with Brady, <laughs> where he's basically exactly. expecting Brady to do everything, and with subpar uh, weapons around him, but Dalton, you would definitely want to surround with more talent. Um, I, that would be something I would want to look out for there. I think Derek Carr would also be an option uh, in trade that could be of intrigue to, to Belichick there and him working with Josh McDaniels, I think could be a pretty good fit as well. Um, Bridgewater probably a little too risk averse for them there, but I, who knows? Um, they honestly, yeah. 
I think I think I think it almost enables them to move on, opens up cap room, um, allows them to bring in a quarterback like that, and and the trade market. I agree with you. Um, might be the way to go um, to bring in a quarterback like Dalton or Carr, um, who who certainly has the capability with the right weapons and the right system to be a playoff quarterback. Um, and then he, there are quarterbacks in this draft outside of the top four quarterbacks who, if he had his eye on a Jacob Eason or a Jalen Hurts or a Jake Fromm or somebody like that to come in and develop um, under him, uh, you know, it, it could get interesting. I, I, I it's hard for me to picture them failing, even if we have a quarterback change. Yeah. So shot out of con- how did Cannon here? Gut feel. Uh, we will go team team by team here. Who do you think the quarterback's going to be? Uh, New England. Well, let's say Derek Carr. Derek Carr. Okay. I'm going to go Andy Dalton on that one. Um, let's go Tennessee Titans. Ryan Tannehill. I agree on that one wholeheartedly. Uh, Tampa Bay Bucks. Jameis Winston. I'm going to go Teddy Bridgewater on that one. I think I think he's the antithesis to what Winston is from a turnover standpoint. And I, I think with the talent that's around there, I, I think he could. He's not really the typical Aaron's QB, but I think he's really desperate to cut down on turnovers there. I think he'd be an intriguing option there. Um, so if that happens, do they take a more typical? Arians like court QB, like a Jacob Eason in round two or three, uh, or do they go think, all in on Bridgewater? I think they would round two or three. I don't think they would round one. It, in my opinion, I don't think uh, Arians wants anything to do with being part of a rebuild at his no, age. He wants to win now. Yeah. He's got to be pushing them to use that first round pick on somebody who's going to be of impact now, whether that's an offensive tackle or whether that's a running back or a defensive player. I can't see them. Um, I, I can't see them going quarterback with that first pick. But I'll hit you with the. Uh, I'll hit you with a bold prediction here for the for the QBs. Gotcha. One that I do have. Philip Rivers. I think I think he hangs it up and retires. That's my my pick on that one. I think it's I think it's undersold a little bit just how bad Rivers was last year, and I think him going out in the market, I don't think he's going to find the type of money that he's looking for Mm -hmm. because uh, I I know he's been linked quite a bit to the Colts. Maybe that happens, but if I'm if I'm comparing him to Jacoby Brissett right now, you know, I I think Brissett was just as good, if not better, last year, and I'm not sure you feel real great moving forward with either of them at this stage. But Rivers really looked done to me last year. He did. He really did. He he didn't look himself. Um, and, and who knows if that will to play um, is still there. If something's not quite right, that's, that's a bold prediction. I mean, you see a lot of, you see a lot of heat of him going to Indy, but um, you know, they, they invested in Brissett and they're, they're saying that's their guy. So um, it's, they're keeping it close to their vest, but it, it will be interesting to see how that lands. What What's your feeling on what happens in Las Vegas? Uh, Las Vegas is a tough one because I think I think they have the draft ammunition to move up if they want to draft one of these guys. Uh, it's really tough to, to get a gauge for how they feel about Derek Carr. It seems like they're always in a process where they're trying to replace him, kind of where Tampa was with Winston. Um, but I, Definitely. I, think, I think they might end up with Carr again for one more round next year and when also pick a QB either. I don't know if it'll be in the first round or – probably first day or second day of the draft to uh, 
pass the torch to from there. Yeah, it's hard to see. We've we've heard a lot of heat on the Mariota or Jameis to Las Vegas, and it's hard to see them, you know, moving on from Carr for one of those guys. Not to say that they couldn't succeed, um, but I see, I honestly see Jameis or Mariota maybe going to Chicago um, as opposed to Las Vegas to add competition for Trubisky. Yeah, I could definitely see that. They're they're definitely going to bring somebody in to compete with Trubisky. They can't just hand him that job again. <laughs> definitely agreed. Definitely agreed. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a bold prediction out there and and call a Melvin Gordon to Houston. Uh, switch okay. positions on you, and uh, I think I think Derrick Henry will stay in Tennessee. I think the situation there is is just too prime for him. You know, given given if the dominoes fall and Brady doesn't end up there. Um, you know, they're, they're going to pay up. They're going to keep Derrick Henry was such a key part of, of how they succeeded last year, just controlling time of possession, controlling the rock and just beating other teams to a pulp. That's their identity. He's going to stay there. So I think Melvin Gordon at the running back position, uh, becomes a prime sign for a Houston team, um, who, where he could have a really interesting year if he stays healthy. And they need it, right? Like they, they, they don't have any draft picks left to pick anybody at running back. Yeah, so they correct. badly need Gordon to be at there. I think that's a that's a good call there. It seems like those two kind of been connected for the past year or so here since his holdout started last year. And I, I I'd agree with you there. I, I think that's a good call on your part. Uh, All right. Another so. sleeper, another sleeper back who could be on the move in the trade market um, would be Todd Gurley. If the Rams are looking to add ammo. Um, maybe snag another interior offensive lineman. Um, I could see Gurley moving. Um, I don't think Houston necessarily has the ammo to grab a guy like that, but I think a lot of teams would, would, would be interested in moving a draft pick um, to pick up, you know, a potential Todd Gurley um, rebound year. Yeah. The question on that one is, you know, how much ammo would a team be willing to give up for him? Because he's coming off, some pretty bad injuries, a season that was pretty puzzling uh, as far as his usage went, where everybody kept saying he's healthy, he's healthy, but he doesn't look healthy, and he's not getting mm-hmm. the type of volume that he normally gets when he's healthy. And he's got a fat contract coming with him. Um, yeah, the contract opinion, weight is a barrier. Yeah, in my opinion, I'm not sure they can get more than like a fourth-round pick for him with all those – um, especially being in the running back market where people don't want to pay for running backs anyway. You know, what, what do you, what do you think the, the compensation would be like to try and pry him out of LA? I agree. I agree. I think third round at the best. Um, but really when you look at how their salary structure is shaping up here, you got Jalen Ramsey, Jared Goff, Brandon Cooks, Todd Gurley, Aaron Donald. That's a very expensive roster. And the Rams really were expensive for a lack of depth um you know they have some defensive talent but they need some some interior fortitude i think the biggest difference on the running game even more than Gurley's question on health was just the loss of roger saffold and um i believe they lost another interior offensive lineman too they just were eaten up in the middle all year long on the offensive line and you know they were exposed for you know they have skill positions on both sides of the ball but they were exposed for depth and, and to fix that you need cap room and you need draft capital and they don't have either of those right now. 
Yeah, they've been building their team kind of questionably over the last couple of years, doing the win now thing. And now, now that Goff is not on a rookie contract anymore, it's starting to come back around. And you know, two two of the big uh, running backs that could be potentially on the move, Gurley and David Johnson in Arizona, both have huge contracts attached to them. So it's going to be interesting to see um, what teams are willing to give up to get players like that and whether or not those teams in question are just going to have to cut them all together because – Nobody in the league is looking to pay running backs at this point. Correct. All right. We have time for one more quick mailbag question here. This one's coming from John B. from the country of Ghana, one of one of our uh, biggest listeners. Hey, guys. John here, longtime listener, first-time writer. Noticed in your first episode that you guys are Panthers and Browns fans, respectively. Was really interested in hearing each of your five-step offensive plans for your respective teams. How would you turn your favorite teams into winners? Thanks, guys. Hey, Charlie, nice I'll, I'll get, yeah, yeah, finally. And end on a positive note. Finally. Well, <laughs> right, uh, floor. this is easy for me because uh, the Panthers have a ton of needs. So I'm just going to list the first five that come to mind. Um and thanks for asking us about our teams, John. We appreciate it. But um, first step, it would just be to redefine the interior defensive line. Uh, we we have some good guys, um, Brian Burns, Mario Addison, uh, Shaq Thompson. Uh, but we we just bled ru- uh, rush yards last year. We didn't cause any interior pressure. So I think for us, that looks like, you know, maybe answering that with a draft pick and a free agent, uh, maybe a Javon Kinlaw. Um, if we wait till the second round, maybe a Jordan Elliott um, or someone of that nature from as a younger, promising prospect, as well as maybe, you know, if one of these guys like a Jaron Hargrave comes on the market, we need to redefine the, the interior defensive front. Um, secondly, we touched on this earlier, um, huge Luke Keekley sized hole in the middle of our defense um, probably will never be filled, but. You know, ideally, if Isaiah Simmons could somehow slip to seven, we'd love to have him. If not, um, there are a lot of middle linebackers in the draft who I'm intrigued by, whether that be Patrick Queen, uh, Kenneth Murray, um, some of these guys um, that that have some good sideline to sideline ability. We need to add Shaq Thompson, a running mate in the middle of the field just to be a defensive leader. Um, Staying on that defensive side of the ball, we need secondary help. Um, so what that should be a round two or three corner, like a Noah Igbenogakni, um, somebody like that, somebody like an AJ Terrell, whose draft stock has slipped, but he tested great in the combine. And, um, I feel as an NFL starting corner, um, we probably need to re-sign Trey Boston at safety fourth, um, our offensive line, you know, we just got Russell Okung as Tony mentioned. Um, I think that's in part to being a mentor for Greg Little offensive tackle we took last year in the second round out of Ole Miss. Um, he also excelled in pass, uh, pass blocking past few years, um, so that's good for Cam, but we need to we need to continue to beef up that offensive line. Um, there's, there's great depth. Um, I don't think we go there in round one, but in round two, there are guys like Josh Jones, Ezra Cleveland, um, Austin Jackson, all of whom would be uh, solid contributors to a new redefining offense under Joe Brady. And then lastly, um, we definitely need one more receiver. DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel are great, but they're in a similar mold. Um, smaller, shiftier guys. We need, uh, uh, you know, a longer, leaner target to, to kind of get 50-50 balls and be a threat in the red zone. This could also be addressed through tight end. Um, you know, I like maybe a second or a third round pick. I like Isaiah Coulter out of Rhode Island. 
um, surprisingly rangy, explosive prospect. Reminds me a lot of like a Sammy Watkins in college. Easy, shifty acceleration and good length. I like Chase Claypool out of Notre Dame. After the way he tested, I could see him being like an Evan Ingram type player. Um, almost like a hybrid tight end wide receiver with wide receiver speed. And losing Greg Olson, we need we need somebody who can go across the middle that's a big body like that. That's really interesting. Definitely a good draft for you guys to uh, have these types of needs because uh, the draft is pretty much strong in all these positions that you just mentioned. So you're going to have a lot of options sitting there at seven and going forward into into the draft in the second, third, fourth rounds there. Um, I, I think that's a pretty good blueprint for you guys to help turn things around. And if you get the, the Cam, Cam Newton healthy, that playing at the level that he is used to playing at, you know, you can definitely make some noise in that division uh, in this, in this upcoming season. A hundred percent. And I, and I expect that I expect Cam back at playing angry, playing hungry and, you know, God willing, playing healthy. I expect him at a, uh, at an MVP type level. I think he's got something to prove and I think he's got plenty left in the tank. So I'm excited to see what he can do under Joe Brady and, uh, you know, we're a few pieces away, but we have the dynamic players and Cam and Christian McCaffrey um, and Brian Burns, who had the most sa- most sacks per snap last year above Nick Bosa, above anyone else in the league um, who are promising and uh, kind of foundational blocks. So hopefully, hopefully we'll be playing deep into the playoffs in years to come. Yeah, some good tools there for sure. So on the Brown side, on, on my team side, uh, my first step would be to keep Olivier Vernon at defensive end. You know, it's, people have been very critical of him in the Cleveland area here. Um, he was banged up a lot last year. Uh, he, he's our highest paid player on a per season basis, uh, $15 million a year coming next year, which is going to be the last year of his contract. In my opinion, just let him play it out. I know, I know people were trying to uh, – restructure the contract. I'm not sure why Vernon would want to do that. Um, and the alternative there would be to cut him. Uh, you're much better with Olivier Vernon on the field than you are with creating another hole. His issue last year was staying on the field. It was not when he was on the field. Uh, when he was on the field, he was a very good running mate for Miles Garrett out there with uh, two good pass rushers on the outside. And his, his play in the run game is uh, unheralded a little bit you got to hope he can stay healthy for next year, but I would let him play that contract out rather than create another hole at a premium position like pass rusher, especially in a draft that isn't real high on pass rushers. Uh, step two, uh, you need some free agent help on that offensive line. You're going to have to overpay for somebody. It's just the, the, the place you're in right now. You need to protect Baker Mayfield, and you're going to need to pay a premium to do it. I don't know if that's Joe Thune at, at guard or if that's Jack Conklin on the outside. Uh, either one of them are going to end up getting paid like they're the best player at their position, which uh, neither of them is, but they will be a huge upgrade compared to what you have. Unfortunately, the the corner the Browns have backed themselves into is they're going to need to overpay somebody to come help on that offensive line there. Uh, step three, you need to add some lower tier starters in that back seven on defense. So you trade another hole for yourself by not bringing back Joe Schobert, not saying that's, that's a good thing or a bad thing there. I think I think the amount of money he was going to get was going to be as if he's an elite linebacker, and I'm not positive that I'd put him in that range. So 
letting him walk doesn't seem like the worst idea in my book. I think he will be replaceable, but it is also another hole for you. So I think you can get some mid-level starters uh, for the back end of your defense there, uh, which will plug some holes in the near term and see where you end up uh, come draft time and see what type of value you can get in the second and third round to fill out that defense, which is going to be a bit of an issue right now where we thought a lot of those holes were plugged last season. And that piggybacks right in number four here. Uh, you need to add some leadership on this team. So some of these uh, some of these free agent signings you bring in need to be guys that are high character guys and guys that can help lead this locker room. People that uh, preferably uh, have some experience winning in this league. And I, I've, I've floated the idea over here locally that maybe they should look to trade for Kyle Rudolph at tight end. Uh, have Stefanski bring him over from Minnesota, a team that's trying to create a lot more cap space so that they can extend Kirk Cousins and uh, rebuild that offensive line there. I think you get him for a mid-level pick. Um, makes a decent amount of money for a tight end, but also brings a lot of leadership, and he's uh, very uh, familiar with the scheme that Stefanski's going to be running here. Um and then the number five, going to the draft, I think I think you need to go offensive line in the first round. You kind of need to force this one. Um, and it's a good draft to need to force that pick because there are a lot of good offensive tackles in this draft. Uh, Tristan Wirfs was obviously the guy that I think is perfect for them, but I think there's some other good fits there that could drop to 10. Andrew Thomas from Georgia is an extremely good player there. Jedrick Wills sounds like his stock is a little bit lower than it was early in the process. Not sure he's quite the scheme-specific fit that some of the other guys are, but he's still a lot better than what you have there and I think could anchor that position for a long time. But I think you also have the ability, if you need to, you can move back a couple spots, still get an Ezra Cleveland from Boise State who would be a perfect scheme fit as well. Um, And then hopefully fill out some defensive positions there in the second or third round. If you can get somehow get Antoine Winfield at safety in the second round, uh, if he somehow drops, I think that would be huge there to fill some of those safety needs. So um, a good number of needs there for the Browns, but I don't think any are substantial that could really hold the team back unless they don't address this offensive line. So I, I like some of the options that are available this offseason, but it comes down to how this new regime sees everything. And I'm, I'm hoping they don't come in and start gutting things the way new regimes tend to do. No, they shouldn't. I mean, when you talk about when you talk about Super Bowl talent um, and just in the playmaker side, whether that's you know Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward, whether that's a, a emerging Mac Wilson, you know Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon, whether that's Odell and Jarvis or Baker or your running back tandem um, of Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. I mean, that's that's a dynamic bunch of players. I think Coach Stefanski has to be psyched about that he gets to come in and all like. With the with the way the bar was set last year with Freddie Kitchens, I mean, it's going to be hard for him to not surpass that by a lot with this group, and I and I think that would be the goal. And and like you said, if you can get some culture shifting players, I I love your point about Kyle Rudolph, just some guys who have been there, they can move the needle, they can help this young group uh, kind of galvanize together. They really need that leadership. I think Antoine Winfield would would be. As much as a good player, I think he would be a culture shifter in that defense, in the middle of the defense, and uh, that would be a phenomenal fit. And then if you guys can bring in a dynamic guy like Wirfs or Thomas, um, you should be in really good shape to compete for you know that AFC North. 
that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping they, the, obviously the expectations are a lot lower this year than they were last year, uh, which is probably a little more comfortable place for a lot of our fan base to be here. And I'm sure you can agree on the Carolina side too. You know, Completely. having low expectations isn't always a bad thing as a fan. Completely. Completely. You can't get let down that way. Right. Right. <laughs> kind of protects yourself a little bit. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you, John B for that question. It was always fun digging into our teams here. So, um, that that wraps up this podcast here. There's a lot of good content Charlie and I put in here. Uh, Charlie, thank you again. We will be back uh, for round three here in about a month. Sounds great, Tony. Always a blast and looking forward to starting to scheme on best draft fits and uh, getting this mock draft ready. Absolutely. Like like we mentioned, that's, that's the next – uh, next podcast coming up, it's going to be our mock draft. It's going to be about a week out from the actual draft. Hopefully, the Frosty Live Tour will be back going and will be coming from Vegas. But if not, uh, you know the the content's going to remain the same. You guys are going to be able to hear uh, where we think everybody's going at that point. We're, we're kind of tr- triangulating a lot of information from a lot of different analysts and a lot of different reports out there, trying to break down where we think guys are going. And I think. We're going to have a pretty good mock draft put together for you at that point. So tune in in about a month for the last installment before the draft, and then we'll have another one after. Um, this, is, this is the fun part here. You're getting into uh, the back nine where you're starting to get close to the draft. And uh, amidst all the other chaos that's going on in the world right now, there will still be a draft, and you will still have some things to root for, even though a lot of sports seems to be at a halt. But uh, we press on. So uh, thanks again for joining us. Um, tweet us at Frosty Pod. Don't forget to uh, hit that subscribe button if you're on Podbean or uh, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. Uh, we'd love to, to build that number, build that fan base. And uh, if you have any suggestions for us, uh, shoot us a line on the Twitter. Um, for Charlie and I, thanks again. We'll see you when we see you.